Okay, everybody, welcome to uh, an episode of Rocker Mike and Rob Presents. And uh, today we have a special guest, very special guest, Mr. Danny Garcia, film director. He's done some great documentaries on some incredible musicians and and other people. Uh, Danny, how you doing today? All right. Hey, I'm good. Thank you for All having right, me. Glad you're here, man. man. Finally, we're getting this done, right? <laughs> we had yeah, some technical yeah. problems, but we're good now. Yes, so good. Yeah. So, how is Brazil? You're down in Brazil, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been here for the last six months. Um, been away from the big cities and stuff, you know. Okay. Yeah, I don't blame you, man. I wish we could do that. We're right in the middle of it. How are they dealing with the cover over there? How, how is it? How is everybody dealing with the coronavirus down there in Brazil? Yeah, well, it's it's getting out of hand, man. You know, kind of like I heard that. Wow. Wow. Same, same sort of situation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, so when do you come back to the United States? Are they going to make you shelter in place? Well, I am I'm, uh, originally from Barcelona, Spain. Actually, I have to go back to Barcelona, Spain. Oh, you're going back to Barcelona. All right, so you're going yeah. back. Do you got a shelter in place where you go back over there then? Um, I don't know. I mean, they, they, people are doing quarantine and stuff over there. Okay. But, um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's like new... New cases and all that stuff. Yeah. But they're not as bad as everything else. They actually do yeah. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy, man. We're living in fucking crazy times. I know. I know. 2020, what a shit year. <laughs> yeah, it's been a terrible year. Wow. Mm. All right, so, Dan, um, I want to talk about your movies a little bit. And uh, I got to say, I've, I've been a fan of yours since I saw the, the Looking for Johnny Thunders movie. Oh, that was a great documentary. Yeah, that came out in 2014. Um, mm -hmm. what, I, what I love about that film is you really got to the, uh, you know, the, the, the real crux of, of, of Johnny Thunders, who he was a little bit, and his family, his friends. And, you know, he, he's, I seen him a couple of times live back in the day. And... Mm -hmm. You just knew that despite all the the drugs and everything like that, that he that he was a pretty decent guy. And you know, people that I knew that knew him all said that. But you know, the way you way you show it in the documentary, it's really very sad. You know, it's it's a sad movie to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this documentary is you know about this sort of figures, yeah. I mean they tend to be sad. Well, that's true. You know. that's true. How, what, what made you decide to do a documentary on Johnny? Well, I was a huge fan of Johnny Thunders when I was like 16, 17. You know? Yeah. And uh, thanks to Nina Antonia's book, I sort of knew his you know, story inside out. And I had all the records, so I was very familiar with all the the material he put out throughout his life. Um, so it was a bit of a no-brainer, really. You know, I finished the documentary on The Clash. I was looking for another subject. Uh, I spoke to Sammy Yaffa in Nasty Suicide about doing something on Planet Rocks, but then nothing came out of it. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I just thought Johnny was the obvious thing to do for me. And once I spoke to Jungle Records and they were on board, you know, it sort of, you know, went rolling from there. Sure, sure. And, you know, Jungle Records still has his back catalog out there. They come out with a lot of stuff all the time. Um, I think yeah. Nina Antonia was probably a big help to you, right? Uh, a lot of people, yeah. Nina, Stevie Klassen, Phyllis Stein. Yes. A lot of people did, did help us out. Um, and I, I, I've, noticed you, I've noticed that you've used some of the same people in different documentaries, at least for the New York scene. Um, yeah, like, yeah. Because when I was doing the Thunders documentary, I started interviewing people about Sid and Nancy and so that was the same people basically that were interacting with Thunders yeah. and with Sid. Everybody, everybody was in the same scene. Mm -hmm. Right. So that that is why basically. Also yeah. you know, yeah. I, I like to give give props to that those people, you know, from that scene, you know. Yeah, yeah. Very like leave like Thunders. One thing I gotta talk to you about. One thing I gotta talk to you about is the the new Brian Jones. Okay, now Ooh, yeah, the, the Rolling Stone Life and Death Brian Jones. That's your most recent documentary, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was also came out last year, and that was the 50th anniversary of of Brian dying. Um, mm -hmm. when you were putting that together. Did you have any problems with the Rolling Stones at all? No, 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 not really. No, they, they, mean, they have, they've always been very yeah. reluctant to talk about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, the Stones, they, they're not interested in Brian. Uh, they haven't been for the last 50 years or more. Um, they don't own their music from the 60s. Alan Klein's company, APCO, owns the music, and APCO were not interested in our story, our documentary. So that is why we didn't get any Rolling Stones music, really, you know, because... Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. But I did notice that you got, uh, you got Greg Prevost to do a song, right, from the Chesterfield Kings? Oh, Greg gave us a couple of tracks, then... We have people like John Perry who actually made a track for the film. Um, yeah. Dick Taylor. Dick Taylor right. from the Switch and the Pretty Things made a couple of tracks for the right. for the movie. And other artists, you know, gave us great, great stuff. Right. And you spoke to um I, I believe you spoke to the late Phil May as well from the Pretty Things in that documentary. Yeah, Phil and Dick Taylor both appear in the documentary. Yeah, yeah, Phil was great, man. Phil was was funny and very real. Yeah, you know, he came to he came to the premiere in London in um, in December, last December. Wow, that was probably only a few weeks before he died, right? Or maybe a couple months. Before yeah, he died. yeah, couple couple months. Yeah, <coughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. was kind of a shock when that happened. I was very surprised to hear that. Um, yeah, we've already yeah. lost a couple of people we interviewed for that documentary, Phil. And um, what's his name? This uh, Terry O'Neill, the photographer. Oh, also really? Wow. Like a year. Oh, wow. wow. That I didn't know. Wow. Okay. Now, you know, what's what's great about this documentary on Brian Jones is it, it goes into the uh, 
the, you know, the, the, the controversy of his death. Okay. And uh, I think, you know, you make a pretty good case that he was probably murdered, uh, you know, whether accidentally or on purpose, we don't know. But what struck me so much is that he was found in the bottom of the pool, drowned by his girlfriend. And when they did the autopsy, they found no chlorinated water in his lungs, right? Mm-hmm. That means he didn't die in the pool. So what 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 do you what do you think happened to him? What do you think it was? Well, I you know, I think what Scott Jones tells in the film is probably, you know, the closest to what really happened to Brian, you know. Um, in the stories that he, he had a series of fights with the main builder, Frank Thorovert. Frank Thorovert, yeah. On July the 2nd, 69. And basically that day, Thorovert and his crew had been fired. Yes. So they stuck around and had a little party, just, you know, a drinking session. And apparently throughout that day, Frank and Brian were fighting, you know, I guess about the money. Right. And, uh, and the fight got out of hand, basically. And, you know, I, I don't want to give a lot of, you know, spoilers for your, for your viewers and your... Yeah. But apparently there was a trough in the garden. And yeah. that might have something to do with the fact that there was no chlorinated water in his lungs. Right. He might, he might have been drowned in that and thrown in the pool, possibly, but... You know, everybody got to watch the documentary. You'll see how it's, it goes. It's a great documentary. Yeah, fantastic, yeah. Man. I was really, really moved by it. Um, now, one other film that you did was about Sid Vicious and Nancy Spongin, uh called Sad Vacation. Oh, that's a yeah. Great, yeah. Great. And um, this is, you know, living in New York City, and I was, you know, always involved with the punk scene on the Lower East Side. I was too young for those for, to go through what happened, but I always heard about it years later. Even today, people still talk about that murder. You know, it's so such yeah. an infamous thing. Um, one thing that I really, really liked about your documentary was it, you, you dealt with it very objectively. Uh, most documentaries really kind of say that he did it. Okay. Uh, um, yours was kind of like up in the air, whether he did it or not. And you also had an angle that I really liked because I forget the guy's name. Uh, the guy you interviewed that was on the steps of the Chelsea. He was sitting down, talking. Victor, I forget his Victor name. Victor Victor Caliccio. Right, right. I think during the scene when you were filming that, you were talking about how Sid may have been able to beat the case. Okay. And that his lawyers thought that he, you know, had he had lived, his lawyers thought that he would have possibly beaten that case. And that's a part of the story that nobody talks about. Oh, man. That there really wasn't enough evidence to convict him, right? Well, I mean, um, he actually confessed, you know, not only to the cops, but to a friend of his as well. You know, but, that it was actually an accident. That's it true. It was actually an accident. 
I'm sure I'm, I'm sure the lawyer I'm sure the lawyer thought he had a case you know yeah I mean you know he was charging a pretty penny for that too you know so <laughs> but, but I know that that lawyer had a detective investigate and I spoke to the son of the detective who had passed away a few years ago and the son of the detective told me the only thing I remembered him, his father telling him was the guy was guilty as sin. Really? So guilty as sin. Wow. That's a detective hired by the defense lawyer. That guy from Boston, I forget his name. I actually met him. Wow. And, wow. and I actually met him, went to his office, and he was like, Sue. Why, why are you guys doing this? He, you guys like Sid Vicious? He was the guy who would spit on people, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, that was his lawyer, man. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know who I always so killed? I thought it was the guy that went, um, what's the guy, the red guy? Rock, yeah. A lot of people think it was the Rockets red glare guy. Yeah, I thought he did it. Well, look at the horseshoe ball. Look at, and I thought he did it. Because he only wanted yeah, exactly. Rockets took the money, but, you know, I don't think it did it. His friends who actually knew him don't think it did it. Um, yeah. I, really, I, really, I really think he just showed up there, saw the scenario, saw the money, took the money, and left. And I think he was the guy who placed the call, the outside call, right to the deck to the front desk saying there's trouble in room 100. That something had happened, yeah. Yeah, just before Sid shows up from his methadone. Wow, wow. Uh, now you have a, a new project, right? Where you're working on uh, some live footage of Sid? Yeah, after after vacation came out, we have this Japanese dude came up to us and went like, yo, I got, a few minutes of Sid Life and Maxis, and we were like, what the fuck are you talking about? That doesn't exist. <laughs> he said, well, it does exist because I shot it, and I have it, and I'm going to send it to you. And when he sent it to us, we were like, floored, you know, like, what? Yeah. what? You know, it's like the holy grail of punk rock, if you, De if you Definitely. There's this, I mean, any kind of unseen footage of Sid Vicious is a big deal. Because oh, so we, we've, we've seen... Yeah, it's all unseen footage. Yeah, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's unseen. And, and I'm telling you, the band sounds amazing. I mean, Jerry, Arthur, and Steve Dior are really cooking. Yeah. Sid is, really, Sid is great. He's really doing it, man. And you go, like, what? That really wow. dismantles all this, all this talk about Sid being useless. The fucking dude guy is great, man. He's really doing it, man. And the band sounds great. Yeah, I, I mean, mean you guys I, will I'm not I'm not surprised really because I, I told you about my, my friendship with Rick Rivets, right? And he, he told me he saw Sid and he said he was great. He said he right, was great right. at Max's. So well, I mean they played a they, they played a bunch of times, so maybe some of the shows were a bit iffy and the rest were great shows, and depending which show you saw, it was great. It was, you know, because I mean? they did play a string of shows. You know, yeah, he played. He played. Did a bunch of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember buying like the Sid sings 
record. Yeah. Uh, Six My Way record. And, the, you know, the quality, the sound quality was so-so, but you could tell he had something going on. It, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was a great front man, you know. He wasn't yeah. a great bass player. But no, no, have, that he, no, that he wasn't. <laughs> But he could, have, he could have become a great frontman. He was a great frontman, and the image was, you know, the whole show, basically. Well, I mean, you know, he was the image of punk rock for 1979. Yep. You know, really, that generation, especially the, 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 you know, the British scene, pretty much. He was the image. Yep. yep. Wow. For sure. So, um, another film you did, and, and I think... Uh, when I heard you were doing this, I was I was really excited, and that's the the documentary on Steve Bader's, uh, the one called No Compromise, No Regrets. Um, yeah. Steve is one of my all time favorites. Um, I got to meet him a couple of times. He was the nicest guy in the world. Uh, yeah. I was a fan of Lords of the New Church, uh, of course, the Dead Boys, obviously, and his solo stuff. I listen to to this day. I probably don't go a week without hearing a Steve Bader song. And nice. when I heard you were doing that, I was like, about time somebody talks about Stiff. Because Stiff is right. like so important to the whole thing. Uh, not just the New York scene, but even just in the 80s with Lords of the New Church, they were a great band. Uh, yeah. 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 Did, did, did you ever get to see them at all or no? I saw them once in 88. I met Steve. I met the, I met the band, actually. I was I was about seventeen when I met him, and it was like yeah. you said, he was like the sweetest, rock nicest guy, guy in the world. Um, I had person, him, I, I, I'll tell you quick. I had I had met him in uh, the beginning of nineteen eighty eight at the Ritz in New York City. Uh, that mm. was like the first time I ever really had a conversation with him, and. This was a show that Joey Ramone was putting on called uh, Circus of the Perverse. And it was a variety of different acts. Uh, Michael Monroe was there from Hanoi. Uh, Lemmy from Motorhead was there. Ronnie Spector was there. A bunch of people. And Stiv was, it was just after, I think it was right after Lords of the New Church broke up. I think it was about that time. And I was talking to him for like, 20 minutes he actually just sat down and we talked about music and everything and i was asking him what's he gonna do we had things lined up and he actually took 20 minutes to talk to me you know in the crowd it was it was incredible he was like that you know nice. yeah i mean uh i was very surprised when i met him because i saw the show and i was like whoa this guy's fucking crazy yeah, was well, he, he was crazy. I mean, you know, you had, you had some great footage there of uh, you had some great footage there of the Dead Boys of you know Stiv crawling into the bass room. That's famous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were very lucky because we had like a zero budget to make that movie and a bunch of. Steve's friends came through and gave us yeah. footage and, you know, and photography, and that's how we really compiled everything and put the movie together, you know. Because is there any particular reason? Is there is there any particular reason why 
Cheetah wasn't involved too much? I mean, is it something you could talk about? I noticed he was kind of not. We did an interview with him. He didn't send the release form, the signed oh. release form. We tried to do another interview with him because we weren't very happy with the quality of the first one. And it never happened. It never oh. happened. There was no explanation. There was no explanation for it. Really. I mean, just, the, the the book that he wrote about ten years ago was was. I mean, I read it like three times. It was like the Bible on the dead boys, you know, because really there's such such little information about them. You know, there's right. his book, there's a documentary, there's, you know, whatever live footage you can scrounge up, but there isn't a lot. And when you did the documentary, I was like, right on, you know? About time something was out there on the record for those guys. Yeah, I mean, luckily we had Jimmy Zero and Yes, he was fantastic. Yeah. Jimmy was amazing. You know, it's yeah. so funny that um so at least we had somebody to tell us the story, you know, the yeah. insights. Um, and which was so cool, much, you know? yeah, so, so much about the the early years too of Stiff's career in that yeah. movie is is fantastic. You know, the yeah, French fine right. stuff right. and before the Dead Boys. I know it's beautiful. The footage that the Kirer brothers gave us. It's this, right. These two brothers that were friends with Steve and Frank and the whole, you know, Cleveland crew and sat on this footage for what forty something years, you know. Yeah. Wow. And, and they just gave us everything for free, you know, like use anything you want. And <laughs> we're like, wow, that that was real godsend, you know. I mean, fuck man, that's priceless stuff. Yeah. And also, you know the. The, the backstage at CBGB's where they're just hanging out. I mean, there's great stuff man, in that film. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Cynthia Ross did a great job talking about her time with Stiv as well. Yeah, Cynthia was one of the uh, people that brought me to do this, you know, because yeah. for, for a couple of years, wherever I went, Always somebody would ask me, when are you making a Steve Bader's documentary? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, who's going to fucking pay for it? You know? yeah. for it? Yeah. That was the question. You know? So, I mean, it was just kind of magic how it, everything happened. You know? Yeah. I mean, it was a gra totally grassroots effort. I remember when you were, you were asking for, for funds, people, donations and everything. Yeah. And, and people were given. That was great. I was glad to see that. Yeah, but but you know, every time we've done a crowdfunding campaign since Looking for Johnny, it's been less and less and less. So I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe crowdfunding is not, uh, you know, trending anymore. Well, yeah, right now the world's all fucked up, so it'd be hard to make a movie if you didn't have the money for it, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. All right, so. I wanted to ask you about two films that I had to look up. I wasn't familiar with them. It was it was two films that you wrote the screenplay on, uh, a film called Bounty Killer and a film called Six Bullets to Hell. Uh, both of them were around 2016, 2018 or so, right? Can you tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. those movies? 
Well, that's just some spaghetti westerns we've been shooting in Spain, basically. The and um, it's just a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. Getting a bunch of friends to dress funny clothes from the 19th century. <laughs> Have them hop on horses and yeah. shoot guns and stuff. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun, basically. Sure, sure. Now, what, one, one name that always pops up with your films is Chip Baker. Uh, either, mostly as producer. Uh, how did you get involved with Chip? Well, basically, Chip Baker is um, it's a pseudonym that, I, that we use, basically. It's, the, uh, it's just a, you know, a couple of us doing all the work, and it's a oh. pseudonym that we use. So there is, there is no Chip Baker. It's all you together. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> you got me there. I thought it was a real person. <laughs> uh, that's the idea, basically. Yeah. We will have that, that's just it's a trick from Jess Franco's book. Jess Franco was this, you know, sort of Roger Corman Spanish director from the 70s, and him and his friend Antonio Mayans, this actor that we worked with in this spaghetti western, actually. They used to do a bunch of movies together, you know, and just the two of them with a couple more actors. And then they would have to make up all these, you know, names, you know, for the end credits. So it would look like there was a bunch of people involved when it was really just two, three, four people, you know what I mean? So that's where we got that idea from. Basically. Okay. Okay. That's great. Um, I want to ask you about The Rise and Fall of the Clash, your first, your first mm -hmm. film. Um, that came out in 2012. Now, the majority of that movie deals with the breakup of the band, which I thought was a interesting angle um, instead of telling kind of the whole history of the band. What made you concentrate on the end? Is it just a controversy? Or what, what made so, you... Not really. I mean, Don, Don Lance had done a... The perfect clash documentary so i you know i couldn't go to day one and start and do the same thing let's do before so basically my idea was to focus on the last two years when they fired mick jones etc but to understand who bernie rhodes is and what he yeah. did the, yeah. the manager of to understand that figure, you have to go back a little bit. And that's why we started in Sandinista, basically, after, you know, an intro of you know, who's who and this and that. The movie really starts in 81, which is when Bernie Rhodes is reinstated as the band's manager. Yeah. You know? Okay. Okay. Um, but let me ask your opinion. Musically, after Sandinista, how do you feel yeah. about the Clash? Well, I like, I like, I love combat rock. I love yeah. Sandinista combat rock. But Cut the Crap is definitely one of the worst albums totally. ever. Totally. That's, that's why I had to ask you, because that's such a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, that's also why I made the movie, because it was such a mystery how this yeah. beautiful band that made this beautiful music suddenly became this piece of shit, you know? <laughs> and I, I actually, 
actually interviewed Paul Simonon in 1990, and he told me he wasn't involved. He was painting in New York while Joe was making the album in Munich, and that it was just like all set up, and he didn't have anything to do with it. So I was just puzzled, you know, by his response. And, and just how shitty it all was, that ending, you know. So I was, I was always puzzled, and you know, I, I just wanted to investigate more. And once I saw that Vince White had put out a, a book telling, you know, a tell-all book about those last two years without making the band, Vince was one of these guitarists that replaced making the band. Right. And the book and the book is amazing, man. And I was like, wow, this is just unreal. And I just thought, look, you know, I've been a fan of the Clash since I was a little kid, you know. So if I didn't know all this shit that's in this book, I'm sure a lot of fans know. So that's that was, you know, the impetus really to start this. Wow, wow. Now I have to I have to tell you the, the Clash is the first band I ever saw in concert. Okay. I saw them at the Shea Stadium show in New York opening oh, for the Who. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah, that was nice. one of the first shows I ever saw. And uh I still remember it. And and uh I guess it was about maybe ten, twelve years ago they came out with the the live album of that. So it's great. Yeah. I mean they were great live, okay. Uh but those last, you know, cut the crap, it was like, to me, Stroman needed to have Mick Jones with him. Otherwise, they, the fighting wasn't there, you know. Well, Mick, Mick and Topper were the musicians in the band. Yeah. Once you fire the musicians in the band, all what you have you is the image. Yeah. You got the image and you got the work, but you got no music. And that's what happens in cut the crap. Precisely. Yeah, that's true. You got shit music, you got some good lyrics, you got the image, you got some, you know, decent, a few decent lines here and there, but the music sucks, man. It's to me, it's unlistenable. I never listen to that stuff. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, I don't blame you. Hmm? You want to ask me? No, I'm really yeah, excited. Good. I'm, good. I'm, I'm glad it's okay. You answered a lot of the questions. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with you, Danny, I, we, me and Rob, we've done podcasts on. We did a show on The Clash last year. We've done shows on Johnny Thunders and the Sex Pistols and all that stuff. So, you know, it's great to just get this added, you know, stuff here that you're talking about. Um when you when you're working on the new on the on the new documentary on Sid Vicious, are you, are you going to come to New York at all? You got any plans to? Well, I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. What's that? I would love to definitely. Yeah, well, you got to meet up with us, man. We'd love to hang out with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. All right, cool. For sure. Cool. All right, so I want to thank Annie for coming on the show. I thank you very much for coming on. And if My you pleasure. want, if you have any more info or anything in a couple of months about the new thing, we'll be happy to have you on again. We're going to talk about your movies a lot coming up. Yeah. We'll plug them for you, okay? And I'm just and thanks a lot for coming on, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. All right.
Thank you, brother. Peace, man. Take care now. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. All right. You too. You too.